0: Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by
1: WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Now, here's the hosts of WP Tonic, Jonathan Dinwood and John Locke. Welcome to WP Tonic episode 204 and today we've got the immense pleasure of having as our guest Miriam Schwab of Illuminia. Did I say that right?
0: You did, well, almost. Nobody ever gets it right. It's Illuminae. We put a little E. Ah,
2: there you go. Illumina. Yeah,
0: but nobody knows. So it's Illumina. fine. Illumina. <laughs> yeah, well, and yeah. also
1: uh, my uh, co-host Jonathan, introduce yourself really quick.
2: Oh, Hi there folks. I'm the founder of WP Tonic. We're a service maintenance support company in the WordPress space. We're your trusted partner, aren't we, John?
1: Trusted as always. I wanted to ask you, Miriam, you've got a very interesting story when it comes to getting into web development and and later WordPress. What was your path to web development? How did you come to be an agency founder?
0: So Basically, it started after I had my fourth kid. Um, I was on maternity leave and uh, I had been working in a regular job and I felt like I needed more room for to learn things and to make decisions and for creativity and things like that. So, uh, and I'd always loved uh, computers when I was growing up. So I took the opportunity to let Google teach me. Google is my teacher. And um, I started to learn uh, web development. I started you know, with uh, just HTML and CSS. And I started to offer that kind of service of just like a basic static website. And then I saw what a pain it was every time a client needed to change a sentence. It was the worst. I did not want to be that person. you know? So um, I started looking for a CMS. And at that time, WordPress was still considered very much just a blogging platform, and um, yeah, I just so I checked it out. I checked out Joomla and Drupal, and I just I really fell in love with WordPress. I liked the templating system, and it was logical, and the user experience in the admin area was also I thought superior to the other platforms. Um, so I started to teach myself that, and. Uh, I was convinced that WordPress was going to become a very important business tool and people would need it. But at that time, people weren't convinced of that. So I had to educate The local Israeli market in a way as well. And so I wrote a lot of blog posts um, and I joined a lot of like communities and I really tried to get that idea out there. And then we signed our First uh, business client, who just wanted a blog at that time up the whole site. That was very exciting. It was a pretty big Israeli company. And then uh, we took it from there. And then, you know, the uh, version, I think it was three came out, and that really turned WordPress into CMS. And also, companies started realizing that um, they didn't have to go with the enterprise-grade uh, solutions, which were very problematic. You know, they had vendor lock-in. And they weren't being developed enough. And um, they started looking for WordPress. And because we had started when we did, we were kind of like, uh, we had that early advantage. And, uh, and yeah, so we started working with like bigger organizations and companies and the rest has been history.
1: No, I think that's really interesting what you said, like, you you know, early on, um, it was seen as just a blogging platform. Now in 2017, it's kind of accepted as a CMS, but what are some challenges that you have, had or, or having you know now even uh pitching wordpress as a cms uh to to these larger clients or do you even just say you know word is it wordpress or whatever do, do you pitch it explicitly
0: um so what happened was along the years of us doing this and it's been about 10 years i think um companies started to look for WordPress themselves. So I didn't have to go and pitch to them and say, you know, WordPress is a better option than X, Y, or Z, or whatever it was that they're considering, because they, they started to learn that that's what they needed to look for. And so that wasn't a challenge. Uh, the internet is changing now. Um, well, it's been changing obviously always, but there's, there's a change happening that's making it uh, a challenge now. Um, so I, I actually started a, I founded a startup a year ago, um, and the startup's goal is to solve one of the, like a few of these issues. So what happened is, as you are, I'm sure aware, the the WordPress ecosystem is very large. So um, for hackers, the ROI on hacking WordPress sites is very high because there's one vulnerability, it's in millions of sites. So um, our our client sites are getting hacked. Too often, and it became very painful for us. Um, The hacking became automated, and so it was just so widespread, and and our clients were paying us to keep their sites alive and well. And the other two issues that we were facing were related to speed and scalability. Uh, All the database calls, you know, um, just weren't keeping up, and site speed, especially with Google saying it's a ranking factor, it became something that clients really cared about. Uh, from a user experience point of uh, view and scalability. If a site suddenly gets a lot of traffic, <coughs> you know the servers can't handle it, and because it was very resource intensive. So um, many technology companies in Israel. Like I was just talking to a guy now. I said, "What do you? You know, do you guys have a site?" And he's a startup founder. I said, "Yeah." I said, "What would you build it in?" And he said, "No JS. I said, "Why no JS?" He said, "Security and speed." So. Um, I founded the startup called Stratic essentially to bridge those two worlds. And what it does is it publishes the native WordPress site, which is behind a login, as a, a live static serverless version. And that live version doesn't have the database issues, it doesn't have the vulnerabilities, it runs faster, it's scalable because of this challenge. Like, I truly believe in WordPress still as an excellent solution. It's a great marketing tool, marketing. Departments love it, and they want it, and they're right, too. It integrates well with third-party services like Salesforce, and HubSpot, and for lead generation, all that. But it has these performance issues, and so we're hoping that our, our solution will, will help with that. Do you think that we're
1: going to see more applications like that where WordPress is used maybe as the database or a place to input content, and then it's distributed out you know, via different applications uh are we going to see a lot more of that and is that going to help its its growth
0: so i do think we will um especially with the rest api so we're going to see more applications of that but i think that the challenge with it though is that out of the box or by its nature wordpress is not really like meant to do that in a way like it's not meant to be an engine that's then pushed out if you're going to be doing that already which increases the complexity of WordPress, right? One of the beauties of WordPress is that the the classic five-step installation process, right? The barrier to entry is very low, as it should be. But as soon as you start using it as uh, an application-driven API, you are raising that barrier quite a lot. And most people now who have WordPress websites will not be able to achieve that. So that's kind of a shame because that's one of the beauties of WordPress, that it makes, you know, as Matt Malmweg always says, the democratization of uh, content creation online, and it should continue to be that way. So one thing that I think that will help, the REST API will help, and advanced application type websites will use it, and and I think that will be successful. The other thing is they're now um, implementing JavaScript a lot in WordPress, which will speed things up. There's this Discussion should it be view or react? Um, so they just have to choose the direction, but I think uh, I think that will make a big difference in the performance and then hopefully we will continue and everyone will continue to be able to use WordPress As we know it and it's accessible that way
1: No, I think you're right and uh, I, I Think they're gonna end up like using react just because that is uh, the the popular yeah. thing and I think they've just already made that decision. And yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. A, a lot of what you said, too, you know, like uh, WordPress is moving toward being more JavaScript driven. Um, and, and like you said, there's a people can get started with WordPress very easily. But then once you start doing stuff that's beyond just a simple blog. Or beyond a marketing site, the, it gets into deep water really quick.
0: Yeah.
1: What are some things that, that the WordPress project or we as a community can do to uh, help people overcome that uh, that you know that big drop off where they they have to uh, you know really have to learn how to code?
0: It's a good question because one of the things that uh, attracted me to WordPress in the beginning is was um, the the default theme actually the default theme at that time uh, was called I think Kubrick I don't yes. know if you guys remember that yeah it was really like well structured and that's how I learned WordPress um, it was like this is a sidebar this is a header this is a footer these are the tags here's your author tag eh, you know all that kind of stuff it's become in my opinion, the default theme has become much more complex in order, I think, to prove the capabilities of WordPress. But on the other hand, I think it's kind of a shame because it could be used as an excellent tool to teach WordPress or learn WordPress. Like, if you have, like, a really good default theme rather than a lot of the garbage that's out there, you know, um, filled with code that's unnecessary and just fills up, you know, for no reason, that, that, I think, would help people learn. I, I really believe that, I mean, that's how I learned, and I just think seeing a, a well-structured site, a well-coded site, um, and learning how it's built is the best way to learn. I think that's one way to make the barrier to entry um, uh, lower. The other thing is uh, the installation process is still easy, which is great, and now I was just at WordCamp Europe in Paris, which was fantastic, by the way. <laughs> It was such an excellent conference, and it was lots of fun. It's really fun to catch up with, you know, all these people from the WordPress community. But um, Matt Malenweg spoke. He did, you know, he does a and a kind of thing, and he introduced the Gutenberg uh, editor, um, which is a new visual editor, which is replacing the old one, which is very good, because the old one is, you know, its time has come <laughs> to move on. Um, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, but the good thing about the Gutenberg Uh, editor is that it will make managing content from a visual point of view I think much much easier so let's say theoretically there's this great default theme that becomes uh, bundled with WordPress and that default theme has Gutenberg and then anybody can take that theme and then lay out the page however they want easily and beautifully then I think that's um that definitely helps with that as well. And it brings it in line with what I think have been threats that have been developing from the other web develop, like website builder type of platforms, like kind of like Wix, but maybe Squarespace also, and Webidoo, you know. And now this is making it possible for everyone to do as well with WordPress. So that's an excellent development and it gives me a lot of hope.
1: Yeah, yeah and I agree a lot with what you're saying. Um, because I talk to uh, me myself, I talk to a lot of businesses that are kind of at the small business level, and the way that they experience WordPress is different for everyone. For some people, it's like how they interact with a theme for a theme. Forest theme. Um, for some people, it's like you know Beaver Builder or WooCommerce or something. But a lot of people are coming over from something like Weebly or Wix or Squarespace, and they expect. Uh, a certain level of you know you just put stuff here and it works and it like you know what you see in the back end is translated to how it looks on the front end of the site and Mm -hmm. I do think that the current WordPress editor falls really short in that regard so hopefully (laughs) this year it looks like they're taking some steps to alleviate that Um, you know what what are some things that you would like to see them implement into WordPress over the next year or two
0: It's a really good question. I mean, this this visual editor was like a big one for me because even though the WordPress admin area is relatively easy to use, you know, we train our clients and they basically run with it. They'll still, you know, we provide intense training to make sure that they can get up and running. And we still have support requests because it's not so, like it's still not, it's not the best user experience. So let's say the editor is the first step in that I would like to see maybe more of more attention to the user experience thinking about what does someone see when they come into the back end of the site. What do they need to see what do they not need to see, you know, there can end up being a lot of garbage there that's like distracting or hard for them to navigate. which, of course, we can take care of as well, but let's say someone is just is doing it themselves or whatever, or let's say we hand over sites to clients and the next thing we know it's full of garbage. It's like it's it's that user experience is, is problematic. Um, of course, I'd like to see faster performance, but I think the JavaScript thing will make a big difference. Um, yeah, but I'll tell you what's what's great going to work Europe reminded me how amazing the WordPress community is like we interact online, and the internet is amazing because it's the only way that this, could, this kind of community and open source development could happen, but there's like a, a kind of like lack of humanity in that uh, communication. Uh, we're all behind screens, and is, we're just typing, and so there's not that like emotion of human connection. And um, so apparently the first WordCamp Europe, which I also went to, which was in Leiden uh, in the Netherlands, there were 700 people there. This one, there was like 2,000. So it's growing always and um, the engagement is high and the community is very, very lovely. <laughs> like people are like supportive and nice and, you know, it's like kind of like meeting up with friends. I think that's really special. And while that's not necessarily about the platform itself, I think it's indicative of what builds the platform. Um, and I, and I, that's very unique to, to, to any kind of community, I think so. Kudos to the WordPress community. It's really amazing.
1: Absolutely. I agree with what you're saying. We're gonna pause for a break for just a few seconds and then when we come back, we're gonna be talking more with Miriam Schwab of Illumina. Did I say it right that time?
0: Yeah, yeah. Good
1: job. Okay, perfect. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back from our break. We're talking more with Miriam Schwab of Illuminae. And before the break, we were talking about WordCamp Europe, how it's grown from 700 people to 2,000 people. What I wanted to ask you is, uh, in your neck of the woods, in Israel, what is the WordPress community like there?
0: Um, So, it's smaller, obviously. I mean, we're a much smaller country. Uh, Well, obviously, than the continent of Europe. But um, (laughs) um, there, so I actually organized WordCamp the last five times that it happened in Israel. And um, it's it's, we get a really nice turnout, and people are very enthusiastic. And the speakers that we get are such high quality. Um, there's a very uh, technology-oriented uh, approach here in Israel to WordPress, like, along with everything else. <laughs> um, and uh, so we, we like, the last time we had three tracks, one was very high-level um, development track, and we had, like, speakers from HP and, like, just, like, amazing and very fascinating talks. And then we had, like, a mid-level, like, implementer-plus type of track, which was great, and, uh, and a content track. And people, were, like, they just... They're happy and like to get together and learn. And um, we actually have generally been doing it for no charge, um, so you know it's op- like it makes it more accessible to anyone who wants to come, and it's it's fun. But the we've tried to have meetups, and that's been much more difficult to make happen and sustain. Uh, it's it com- a meetup competes with a lot of things here in people's lives. Um, you know, as well as it was a very family oriented. Uh, culture so once people finish work they, they're going home like in most cases and so you know it's hard to get them to stick around and, um, and there's a lot of tech events in general so like you're also competing with that so that's been hard to get off the ground um, but we have uh, some really good facebook groups for the israeli wordpress community and um, so and hebrews a right to left language like arabic and farsi and uh, Is one of the team members of Automatic is a guy named Yoav Farchi who is Israeli and so he's contributing a lot to the that whole right to left um, area which is amazing for us even though at Illumina most of the websites we build are English um, they're for Israeli companies that are targeting outside of Israel but we have to do uh, Hebrew often and so that Hebrew support is fantastic so yeah so now I'm not the lead organizer for WordCamp anymore. WordCamp Central created a regulation that you can only do it twice in a row, and I've done it five times, so I'm way past (laughs) the limitation, (laughs) Um, which is fine for me. I'm so happy to not be leading it, and so another guy will be leading it this next time, and uh, hopefully, we'll be able to announce a date soon, which I very much like, and maybe I definitely have some follow-up questions
1: from that that last block of... uh, Uh, commentary. And and one of them is, uh, you know, you mentioned you were a five-time, five-time, five-time WordCamp leader. Uh, You know, how did you kind of mentor like the next person or the next group of people to be taking over the WordCamp responsibilities?
0: So I'm still going to be involved as a a volunteer. One thing that I learned after organizing it um, all these times is to uh, replicate processes for each one. So um, the hardest part organizing a WordCamp is finding a suitable venue and date. That's the hardest thing um, because you want to find the right place with the right facilities and it should be available at the right time. Once you've done that, almost everything else falls into place. And when I organized it, I really tried to find a place that didn't charge us because I wanted us to not go into this with debt. There, were, Of course, there are other expenses, but um, I wanted us to like know that we're okay. It made me nervous that we wouldn't have enough sponsorships and all that kind of stuff. So um, but, so, that, so that would be hard to find. The, the new organizer, I think, will be finding like a more standard type of place. Um, and so so that's that. But once it's chosen, then after that, it's processes. Like I have Google Docs and Forms and all sorts of things that we just reuse every time. Like call for speakers and then we email the speakers and then we, fil- we have a doc for filtering the speakers and then voting on the speakers, and like it's all set up, so the first two couple times it was like much more work, but and still a ton of work. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But, um, but we just we just like process this and then it mostly works so yeah, sweet.
1: And then the other thing I wanted to ask you uh, and circle back to is you know you mentioned like a lot of your clients are, are there in Israel, but they're, um, they're reaching out to. Uh, you know, the US and Europe and and different places like that. They're doing business in in all different places. They're large places. But um, how do you get in front of your clients or how do they find you? Like, how do you get on their radar?
0: Um, We're kind of lucky by now. Um, It's pretty much all word of mouth. Uh, I think it's probably like this in other places, but in Israel, the tech community is um, relatively small and people know people. So basically... It goes like this. I need help with my WordPress. Do you know anyone who knows WordPress? Oh Miriam knows WordPress. And then and also that's the best way to get business because you've they you've overcome a lot of hurdles that you would need to if you like went in cold. Um, a trustworthy recommendation means like the world. Uh, but in the beginning, in order to start generating business, and basically I, I chose a path of positioning myself as a thought leader. Um, it's just what works for me. I can't do cold calling or any of that kind of cold emailing. It's like, so not for me, but what I can do is get up on a stage at a conference and speak. And um, I found that that is one of the best ways to position yourself as a thought leader. And, uh, and then business recommendations often come from that. It's not instant. Like I, I remember speaking at a conference and then like nobody's in touch and I'm like, Oh, oh well. And then like six months later, someone who was at the conference recommends me to someone who wasn't even there, you know, and then the business comes from that. And like, it's snowballed over the years in a way. So it in the beginning, it was slower. But at this point. Thank God we've positioned ourselves as uh, like the WordPress experts pretty much in Israel. Um, we do have competitors, but we're in a pretty strong position from that point of view. And we try to provide an excellent service to our clients and keep them happy. So you know, they'll hopefully want to continue working with us and hopefully recommend us to their friends. So at one point I did try to grow the company. Um, I was like, we're gonna be a big team. We're gonna have lots of projects. And That was a really bad idea. I didn't do it well. Other people do, obviously. I didn't do that well. Um, it was hard to manage more people and make sure that the quality of the work was good. So then I pared everything back down again We're a team of four. We take on only specific types of projects, like certain size, and we only do customized work now. We don't work with existing themes or anything like that. And if clients want that, great, we're here for them. And if not, like I actually recommend them to freelancers. I have a few freelancers, I'm like, you know, I understand we're on your budget, but these people can do a good job of implementing your site for you, so.
1: One last question before I, I kick it over to Jonathan, um, and that is, you know, you mentioned that that you've kind of uh, figured out what your perfect size project is, what your type of project is that you want to specialize in. How long did it take you to kind of learn how to what that sweet spot was for you, and, and how hard was it initially to say no to things that fell outside of that?
0: Very, very hard, and I learned the very hard way of making lots of very costly mistakes. <laughs> so um, the WordPress market or web development market is very commoditized, so people are competing on price, and you, when you're in that situation, it means you're taking on projects where your clients expect a very high level of service, and they don't, it doesn't matter to them how much they're paying, and you can't, or a person can't, provide that level of service if you're not getting paid enough. You just can't. A WordPress project involves planning, right? We do an initial stage because we learned, we have to. Initial wireframing stage, a site specification stage where we map everything out and get their approval. And then there's the design stage, which by the way, we also learned the hard way not to do in-house. We now send clients to a studio in Tel Aviv that we partner with and we say, just do the design there and then bring the design back to us. Uh, We found it hard to manage the design side of projects. It's just not our strong point. And then the development and training and customer support and QA and launch and then post-launch QA. And like, it's a really time intensive thing. And people don't realize it. They're like, oh, it's five step install. Just press, press, press and have a website. No, it never works that way. And I often say to clients, if you let me do the site as I think it should be done, we could do it quickly, but it's your site and you have input, which you should and you have opinions and you know it better than I do. And that's why it takes longer because we are charging you essentially also for all the discussions. Discuss- just the discussions can take hours. You know, so that has to be rolled into the pricing. So all of that I had to learn the hard way over many years of making mis- costly mistakes. Um, but we eventually figured out what our hourly rate needs to be. And then we figured out how to like basically estimate projects and certain projects we'll give a fixed price for and certain projects we won't because there's just too many unknowns. And so we'll work hourly. And, and like I learned to say no because if I said yes to the wrong thing, we all would pay a gigantic price in the end. The client wouldn't be happy. It's not like we, you know, we were flexible for them and now they appreciate it. No, we would not be happy because we were we'd become entrenched in this horrible situation. And so I had like the hard, things forced me to learn to say no. It's not because I'm so smart, it's just because I made lots of mistakes.
1: (laughs) There you go. Jonathan?
2: Oh, I thought that was great. Um, It reminds me of our last interview with uh, Blair Enns, um, which was a a very, like this one, a great interview. And um, he's well known, for how to win without pitching. And have you, related to what you just said, so have you gone into more of attitude of value pricing than fixed pricing, you know, where where you have the discovery stage and you basically don't pitch to clients, basically, you, you know, you don't, um, when a spec is out there, you don't reply to it. You know they come to you, and then you, it's a value pricing scenario. Would that be right?
0: Um, I'm not sure what the value pricing scenario is, but I'll I'll explain how we build up right. our pricing. Yeah? Um, yeah. So we don't really pitch actually. Like it's very often actually. Even though our clients are in Israel, we they'll like approach us. Will. Um, have a discussion initial discussion of what they're looking for sometimes not even in person and then like we'll do like a video conference or just a call and we'll send an initial proposal and and sometimes we never end up meeting in person even Um, basically they come to us with a need we say either okay this is what it would cost to do this, or I often say, this is our minimum price for a project, but your project is more complex than that, so it will cost more, and then they'll have at least a clue about what we charge. Um, Or, if it's like something that is really not clear to them or to us, then we have, we charge them for a site specification stage, and we say, at the end of this stage, you're welcome to take this to anyone else. But we cannot actually price this out without going through this stage. And we can't absorb the cost of that stage because we're talking about like 10, sometimes 20 hours of like meetings with different people on their team and and wireframes, and reviewing the wireframes. And and we write a specification document with the functionality the features and everything. And so so we actually charge for that and only then do we provide. uh, generally, a fixed price proposal at that point because we know everything. We've asked all the questions, so um, I'm like not going around pitching so much. It's more like responding.
2: Yeah, yeah, but uh, I totally follow it. Sounds great. Um, well, value pricing is around the um, philosophy that like, you know, what value are you providing the client in financial terms? If you're going to get like a two times, four times return on investment. Um, you oh, know, your pricing model is based on the, uh, re- the benefit and return the client will get from the investment. Rather so, than,
0: yeah, um, you know. Yeah, so I actually, like over the years, I've looked into various pricing um, like, methods, and uh, I did look into that. And the problem with WordPress is, like, or this type, what we do is that, it's not like we can say, we will build this site for you, and then you will make more money it's very hard to make that correlation, right? And also, a lot of it depends on them. Like, we can build an excellent site, but then if they don't, let's say, create the good content around it, they're not going to make more money, right? Because they're not going to generate traffic. So so it's very hard to say what the value is. On the other hand, I guess you could say that what we say the value is, is that a lot of people come to us and have been burnt (laughs) by other providers, uh, you know, things like that. So our value is, We will pay attention to you and take the project from start to finish. And we will also make sure to be there for you after launches um, so that if there's any issues, you know, you can turn to us. And that is a peace of mind value that our clients will pay for. So I guess it's that maybe.
2: Oh, yeah. um, There was a recent blog post on Chris Lemmer's website around um, where he dealt and did a video as well about where he feels the middle ground is where the real growth is and that middle ground is providing um, quality web development and um, quality client handling but also the other elements of driving traffic, um, quality content, a whole package where um, you can provide um, argument where you could get those kind of returns. But that's increasing the complexion and difficulty and getting the right client that's prepared because that's an even deeper involvement, isn't it?
0: Yeah, so there's two problems with that approach, in my opinion. One is what I also learned over the years. At one point we were providing SEO, search engine optimization services, and online marketing services. And it's, while they complement each other, web development and this, uh, and like the marketing side of it, they're different focuses and we weren't doing it well. And I learned that we needed to be laser focused on doing what we do really well because that will make our clients happy, make sure that the projects are profitable for us and gain referrals. And that's why we dropped that. And like I mentioned, we even dropped the design side of things because we weren't doing it well. Like we were designing well, but the process of taking a client through design, design is the most painful thing because it's so subjective. I mean, it's subjective in some ways, but it's so subjective. Like go argue about like the color blue. And we just, we didn't have it in us to like manage it well. So we just said, no, like we're not, so rather than try to do all these complimentary things, we became laser focused and that actually improved the business. The complimentary thing that we did start to offer was ongoing maintenance and support and hosting. Some clients don't want the hosting, but they want the maintenance and support to keep the site updated and live and well. And even though many of our clients are tech companies who clearly have the capabilities, they it's interesting, in tech companies, the engineers don't want to have anything to do with the website. And the company doesn't want them to have anything to do with the website, because they would rather them use their talents and their skills to develop whatever it is that they're developing, right, which has a great value for the company. So then you end up with the marketing people in charge of the website. And they do an okay job, let's say, on the content side, but they get stuck on the coding and, the, like, you know, there's less awareness of security and all that kind of stuff. So that's where we come in. We provide that other type of peace of mind where, we're here for you, you know, if anything goes wrong, we'll take care of it, and that has a lot of value for them. But actually, that, that service has become much more painful for us over the last few years to provide. I just want to
1: comment, too, that that's something that we've both encountered individually and collectively, the same what thing that you are? just described with About retainers.
0: That it's become more painful?
1: Not that it's become more painful, but that in tech companies, the or marketing already. team ends up running the site and the yeah. engineers are doing internal stuff.
0: Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it, it makes sense.
2: What, what, can I ask why it's become more painful?
0: Sure. So um, when we started offering that service, it was pretty like worthwhile for us um, from a profitability point of view and also actually from our own peace of mind because if a client's site isn't working, it doesn't matter that it's because they didn't do what they needed to do. They're still going to blame us. So, in a way, we also provide the service so that they couldn't come back and blame us, right? You know, we're taking care of it. It's all running fine. But over the last few years, um, the amount of hacking attempts uh, have become greater, and it's automated. So, we're talking about bots that are doing the hacking rather than, like, an individual who's just like, I'm going to target that site. And even though we... Are experts in this field and we keep up to date with everything and we patch vulnerabilities as fast as we can if you know a vulnerability is published while we're sleeping and then we wake up and we start patching things there's that window of opportunity for the hackers to get in and um, and it's become very challenging and even the attempt to hack the site uh, like um, brute force attacks um, it it sends a lot of traffic to these sites to the point where That on its own can take it down, it's not even a DDoS attack. We had one client, a cyber company, who on a Friday was pitching in San Francisco. So, the time zone difference is like what we have right now, which means like, you know, it's the end of our day, it's the beginning of their day. Also, on Friday, Friday's not a work day in Israel. We work Sunday through Thursday. So, like, we're like available, but we're not, my team's not really active. And they're on stage pitching these VCs and their site is DDoSed. It was a nightmare and, and that kind of thing started happening too frequently and we found ourselves dealing with all sorts of nightmarish situations where instead of being able to progress with the projects we were working on, we were busy trying to just, you know, clean up malware, stop a DDoS attack somehow, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, it, it's become much more challenging, and much more time consuming, unfortunately.
2: Oh, thank, thanks for that insight. I think it's time to wrap up the, um, the podcast part of the show, John, and then we're going to go on to some bonus content that people can watch on our YouTube channel.
1: Correct. And uh, one thing I want to encourage people to do, if you're, and before we let everybody, uh, let, us, uh, let the audience know where they can find them. If you're getting value from this podcast, we encourage you to go to iTunes, leave a positive review, let people know what you think. And like I said, uh, we're going to have 10 or 15 minutes of bonus content on the YouTube channel. So you can check that out on the WP Tonic site or our YouTube channel. So uh, with that, Miriam, how do we get a hold of you? And is there anything you want us to check out?
0: Yes. Okay. So first of all, you can find me on Twitter at Miriam Schwab. I'm a little bit more active and colorful on Facebook. And I'm happy for people to become friends with me there. Um, I just gave a talk at Work Camp Europe, which... Um, people really enjoyed. I got a lot of positive feedback. It's about WordPress security for all, and um, I recommend that people check it out. It's on the WordCamp Europe site. Right now, it's like one giant video, but they're gonna be dividing them soon, but you can still find it there. Um, And I'd like people to check out our new security product, Stratic, S-T-R-A-T-T-I-C, which um, aims to solve the issues that I mentioned before about the maintenance and support by publishing these websites as static serverless sites. So please check that out. And if you have any questions about anything that we spoke about now, security or static, um, running away of agency, feel free to tweet me. I'm always happy to help. So,
1: Definitely, and we'll link that stuff up in show notes. Jonathan, how do we get a hold of you?
2: That's quite easy, folks. You can get me on Twitter at Jonathan Denwood, or you can email me at jonathan at wp-tonic.com.
1: Excellent. And you can find me at my website, which is LockdownDesign.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Lockdown underscore, or find me on Facebook, uh, Lockdown Design, all one word. For the WP Tonic, we're saying peace out and get your dose.
0: Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.